Welkom bij Conlangery, de podcast over kunstmatige talen en de mensen die ze maken. Welcome to Klein Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Oh, down the road a ways is William Annis. Hello. And over in the Netherlands, we have Christophe Gracieux-Provence. Hi. How are you guys doing? Good. How was China? <laughs> China was all right. <laughs> uh... It was good. I got to actually in person meet my wife's family. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, they live in um, Hebei. It's um, a smaller city, which in China means they're probably still over a million people. I, I, I never checked it. Small, a village. It's it's like fourth <laughs> tier or something. Even people in China don't know where it is. Um, uh, but like they do actually like. They live in like this a small little neighborhood, and they actually have their own wheat fields and everything. So oh. it's they they live pretty rural place. Um, and I managed to since it happened to be at the same time I was there, I went to Tianjin for a um, prosodic phonology conference. <laughs> What's it like attending a linguistics conference in a different language? Well, actually, so since this is an international conference, most of it's in English. Oh, so most of the talks are in English. There are, there were some talks in Chinese and I was a little bummed out because like all the, for all the opening speeches, they had, you know, the little like headsets like you see at the UN where you have a, a, an interpreter talking in your ear. I'm like, Oh, great. That would be awesome. But then when they get to the actual Chinese talks, they don't have that. Right. So it's like things that are actually important to me to try to understand. I don't know. <laughs> so it's like Lee was, Lee was trying to help me out if, um, by like taking pictures of all the slides of the Chinese talks. Maybe I'll go back and try to decipher those, but I don't know. <laughs> Um, and I got a free book. And, uh, on the downside, I, I screwed up my ankle, which, uh, is not good, but it's healing. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with the fact that I was in China. It just has everything to do with my left ankle is, ankle is stupidly weak. Wow. A trans Pacific flight with a messed up ankle must be delightful. Uh, yeah, it was not fun. And I was like dumb because it's like they put up, put me up in the front and there is a way like if you, uh, if you sort of position yourself in a slightly awkward way where you could elevate it, but I didn't figure that out. So for about 12 hours, I wasn't elevating it and that's not good for your foot. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, yeah. Christoph, any any injuries on your vacation? Uh, on not on my side. Oh, I didn't. That's good. Uh, I didn't hurt anything. That's. Uh, I I had trouble with hay fever, which was a first for me on Corfu, but oh. uh, which is unusual there. But uh, otherwise, I did. We didn't do enough to get hurt in any way. <laughs> vacation <laughs> yeah i will tell you one thing if you get any kind of uh foot injury and you have to take a flight make sure you get the the wheelchair so so you get the wheelchair they'll take you all the way to the plane and then you ask for one while you're on the plane to take you out all the way out of the airport oh i i i know that we uh i didn't have that but my husband had that a few years ago and that's really fine you get uh, you get past everyone you get uh, uh you don't have to wait for anything for customs for anything you just go through 
everything. They 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 push you through the uh, uh, the queues, and uh, not only the person on the wheelchair, but everybody who's accompanying them. So it's 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 really it's. Uh, uh, I advise everyone get hurt during your holidays and get a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is not a travel podcast, so we don't know nope. how to spend a whole lot of time on this. No. Nope. <laughs> um, another personal announcement before we get to Conlang stuff. My wife has a small creature growing inside her that will George? eventually turn into a human being. Yeah, it's a hilarious way to phrase that, George. Yes. yes. Congratulations. Yes. But at first I thought that she had met with an alien. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. So Lee is pregnant. Uh, the baby is due early December. Uh, I am highlighting this mainly because uh, obviously having a new baby will possibly affect the podcast. I'm, I'll try not to skip any shows, but, you know, it may affect quality and you may, you know, after December, you may hear a, a screaming child in the background. Uh, won't be much I can do about that given my setup. So. Right. Okay. And congratulations in any case. <laughs> yes. Uh, and we won't be announcing the gender of the baby yet because we want to be extra sure about that. But, uh, okay. Anyway. Moving on, uh, before we get to the t- topic, other conlanging stuff. Uh, Britain's documentary has, uh, a, like a trailer thing. They call it an intro, like an intro, um, video. It's, uh, Christoph's on it. Yep. For a whole lot of four seconds or something. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, that's. But they are the highlight of the whole documentary, of the of whole course. intro, yes. of course, of course. <laughs> but it's it's um, it's um, it's an interesting just sort of introduction to what the the movie is going to be about. Um, they have not posted up their their Kickstarter uh, yet, but that's going to be coming soon. We'll we'll highlight when that comes, but we'll link to that video and. Uh, you guys can check it out, see what you think about it. And, uh, also, uh, William and I are most likely going to be on there. Um, we're going to be interviewed for it. And, um, there, there's some plans to record a con Langery specifically for that so they can put video clips of a con Langery episode on into the, the, um, final movie. Because people okay. sitting around staring at computer screens are very compelling. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, one thing is, it might not be totally accurate to the way we usually do conlangery, but that's fine. It'll more be on more that social. When it comes <laughs> um, so that's all kinds of announcements out of the way, and and general general hoopla. Um, I don't know why that word came to me. But uh, our topic for today is copulas, or if you're a classicist like William, copulae. Uh, so um, I think most of our audience will have the general idea of a, a, what a copula is. For example, a for example, to be, it's it's just usually sort of a semantically weak word. Um, weak verb that links um, subjects to predicates, usually sort of uh, like um, an identity relationship or a classificatory relationship. Uh, William has has several different uh, meanings that they can have, but yeah. It is, I mean, I think I might have been the one who put this on the topic list. Because mm-hmm. it really is a huge topic. It gets an Oxford Red Book, so there's an entire book on the subject. Um, a lot of what my notes come from is Dixon's Basic Linguistic Theory, Volume Two, which has an entire chapter on these. Um, and there can be a lot more interesting than most of us know, in my opinion. Um, so. Terminology I'm going to use all the time is copula subject and copula complement. 
because some people don't like using the word predicate with copulas because it seems a little weird for theoretical reasons I don't understand or care about. <laughs> um, but I'll follow that terminology here just because most of the stuff I looked at used it. Um, and as George said, a predicate usually indicates a relation rather than referencing some kind of activity. Um, right. And Dixon's list is identity. So he is a dog. Attributes. He is large. Possession. It is mine. Benefaction. It's for me. And location. He is at doggy daycare. <laughs> um, and a true predicate will absolutely identify, uh, absolutely have the function of at least the first. It will at least do identity. Mm-hmm. It will probably do attributes, but you have some languages um, who don't care for adjectives in uh, copula complement position, either because their adjectives are actually verb-like um, or for other reasons they just don't care for it. So in some languages, I think Yoruba is one, you cannot say, you know, he is good. You have to say he is a good boy. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, our favorite example language, Chinese, does the same thing. Or you don't, you, you, you say, like, he very good. Right. Good is, good is like a, a, a stative verb. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 that works out a lot, a lot. Um, so, is, so, to be is one in English, uh, sorry, I'm losing my thoughts. So, <laughs> Uh, you guys, you guys, I think are more prepared than I am <laughs> on all of this stuff. But um, beyond sort of the the general function of the copula, there's different ways that you that that a copula can work. So some languages don't have a copula. So you don't you don't need a copula at all. Well, you don't have mm. sort of. I'm not sure that's true. You will definitely have languages which do not have a perfect match for B. Mm-hmm. But I'm not aware of it. So, we, we, so far we've been talking about is, but there are plenty of other verbs that uh, work basically the same in terms of structure and case marking funniness we'll get to in a moment. So B is a copula. Become is a copula. Um uh, Christoph, you had a list of the ones apparently Dutch goes to yeah. the trouble of naming this. Yeah, the Dutch calls them koppelverkwoorden, uh, which means basic coupling verbs. Mm-hmm. And uh, be is one, of course, zijn, worden, to become. But then you have blijven, which means to remain, to uh, uh, so to remain a certain way, for instance. Uh, and holes, all lists who, which, uh, bleken, lijken, schijnen, duncan, voorkomen, which mean, uh, both all mean, uh, to appear or to seem, which is also, uh, um, which is also a connective, uh, verb, basically. You, you, uh, you, you, uh, to look in English as well. Yep. You look sick. Uh, hate, which means to be called. Is uh, considered a, a, a koppelverkwoord in Dutch. So I am called uh, Christoph. Ik heet Christoph. It's, it's considered a, uh, basically a copula. And of course, you can uh, you 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 have other ways to do that with phrases with uh, 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 kind of synonyms um, in uh, Dutch raken, which means to touch, uh, can be used as an equivalent of to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, really? What's the? Is there some? What's the difference in meaning? Um, so it's uh, well, it's 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 uh, it's 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 more to 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 be to become. It's uh, it means um, it's it's difficult to say. It's, it it means that something is actually uh, uh, changing you, so it's touching you. But uh, but it can be used with uh, with adjectives. Oh, so. Yeah, so it's it's it, it's not equivalent of uh, to to be. I'm, I'm wrong with that. It's so the equivalent of to become. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, f- fallen, on the other hand, can be, uh, which means to fall, 
can be uh, a t- kind of an equivalent to to be. Mm, okay. That's For instance, an, an example I have is it it film zwar it has written to verwerken, which means it was it was difficult for him uh, to handle the uh, the goodbyes. So it film zwar means in this case it was difficult for him. Mm. Interesting. And it means it it means uh, literally it fell him heavy. Okay. That looks like you could um that's that that sounds like something we could bring up again when we talk about sort of diachronics and sources of copulation. Yeah, so that's the, interesting. Some Definitely. of those look like things that like these could develop into this is what kinds of lexical verbs could develop into copulus. Um revising a little bit what I was what I was saying, I could say, you know, you can have a language that at least has some constructions that are zero copula. Yes. You could say. Like, you know, you can have languages that are where you're able to say, instead of he is a duck, he a duck. And right. it has the, that yeah. meaning. Ba- basically, um, w- basically, when you talk about the copula as the, the basic one, the one which doesn't have, add uh, any uh, spe- specific uh, meaning to it, in uh, quite a few languages, it can simply be zero. It can be a direct yeah. connection. Mm-hmm. So, and, and this is important, right? We're talking about a concept of a copula, and it doesn't have to be a specific separate word. It is a construction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we'll actually get into a little bit about how sort of they get. Um, so we have we have zero possible. We have. Yeah. Just straight up verb copulas. That's what to be is. It conjugates yep. as a verb. It it works as a verb, or syntactically it doesn't work exactly like other verbs, but it's basically a verb. Um, and that's another um, way of having copulas. Or they can be sort of like just particle like. They're not like verbs. They're just sort of. They're a functional element that doesn't take the same kind of morphology that verbs do. Um, or take absolutely no formal morphology at all. This is just uh, invariable. Or they can take different types of morphology or different make different sort of agreement distinctions or things like that. Yeah. Right. It's important to say, though, that in many languages that have verb-like copulas, they act more or less like regular verbs. There are still cases where they do not. Mm-hmm. For example, they typically do not um, fall into your normal valency changing morphology. You do not get causatives of the simple identity copula. That just doesn't happen. Right. Which um, makes sense because... Well, conceptually, cause to be doesn't seem completely weird. Cause to become is much more likely to occur. Yeah. Um um, what also happens often when you really have a verb or copula is that it will be defective. It won't yeah. have the same forms of, as, a, as a normal verb. Right. Uh, in in one of my f- my favorite languages, for instance, in uh, modern Greek, the copula is basically a, a weird little verb which is kind of de- uh, uh, conjugated like a dependent uh, verb. So it has kind of passive likes like endings, but they are somewhat different from the normal passives. And it um, it lacks uh, a number distinction in the third person. That's the same uh, form for third person singular and plural. And it lacks any perfective form. Right. Basically, it doesn't have an aorist. It doesn't have uh, the non-continuous uh, subjunctive or future. It only has uh, the present tense and the imperfect Right and, uh, and uh, a very little used uh, uh, gerund, and so, this so. and this this um, continues what was true in ancient Greek. It had a past, it had a present, it had a future, uh, and there was no aspect distinction in the past. It only had what well, I'm not even going to say what, what they look like because they're so weird. But um, yeah. that also is normal for your simple copula 
to be missing as, yeah, as Christoph said, defective missing bits. Um, And that gets all very complicated when you add negation. So it may operate completely differently from other verbs once negated. For example, there might be an entirely different verb used. Um, or uh, it will then become defective in, in the neg- negative, where it has the full complement of tenses and aspects in the positive, but is missing some in the negative. That can happen to any verb, depending, you know, across languages, um, but it's somewhat more likely to happen to the copula. Um, also, in the negative, since we're on that, you can get funny distinctions where negative looks perfectly normal for some parts of those relations I talked about, like identity, attribute, possession, um, but might behave weirdly for some subset of those relations. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like the uh, the Japanese copula because it uh, kind of looks like a verb. It kind of behaves like a verb. He has most of the same forms as a verb, but for some reason, the people don't consider it a verb, and it's kind of different yeah. it's, uh, it's a it's a it's, it's a weird little thing it's uh that's a weird weird uh it's it's, it's all very weird it's, uh, I, need to, I need to uh ask some chinese people i do think like you know it's hard to say in chinese whether shi is a verb or not but i can i do think that it can't really take the all that I can't it can't really take aspect marking like verbs usually do. Yeah, I've never heard shirle or shiguo. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that so, would be that what would that even mean? Okay, anyway. <laughs> it's like uh I experienced being this in the past. It's weird. I guess that kind of makes sense. <laughs> but uh yeah. Um I'd have to I'd have to ask Lee about that and maybe other people, but uh I don't think it can take aspect marking like other verbs can. Um and we will actually be talking about where that comes from in a little bit. Um moving on, I found I found which paper these categories are coming from. It's the the Kernow paper. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce this name correctly, but I think it looks like Kernow. Um the the next one this is um not particularly common but some languages have and what's called an inflectional copula construction right and um basically there's not really a copula per se but the predicate itself or the or to use the terminology um the copula complement itself gets some verb morphology either directly or uh like west greenlandic you add a suffix ooh to a noun and that becomes the verb to be x right um so um in classical not lots it's direct if you say i am a man you just stick the normal um verb inflectional morphology straight onto the noun i like that I like that stuff. That I like that idea. Uh, um, although it's you know, it's not it's not uh, this notes that it's not particularly common, but it's an interesting um, it's it's an interesting strategy to go about it. Sort of you know, and you could you could even think of if it's like the West Greenlandic. Uh, It'd be interesting to think where does who come from? Was that a historical copula or what? So, um, those are the basic sort of constructions that, that the, the basic types of copula constructions you can, you can sort of choose from. And, yeah. uh, and, and one, one thing to, to notice is that, uh, some are actually may, maybe many languages, have more than one uh, uh, strategy for copula. It can be in a somewhat free uh, uh, alternation, but it's most o- quite often they have a one strategy in some f- some kind of uh, uh, restricted environment, another one in another in another environment. 
uh, I think, for instance, of Arabic, and I think Hebrew is kind of the same in that they have a direct connection in the present. But as soon as you want to uh, to use the copula in the past, you have to have uh, an actual verb being used. In uh, right. I think in uh, in Arabic it's a verb kana or something like that. I don't yeah, remember kana. exactly. Yeah, yeah, can, yeah. Arabic is interesting, and we'll get to that in a bit. We have a paper that's going to talk a little bit about uh, that talks a little bit about Hebrew, and um, it's the it seems like modern Hebrew is actually developing now a new present tense copula. Yep, that's oh, that's coming from pronouns. With it, which is yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. That's a common yep. pathway to go. So one thing I'll just want to mention quickly while we're on this. Um, in those languages which have zero copula, it's almost never used for location. In English, we can say, I am at the store. Mm-hmm. In a, a, a zero copula language, they're going to prefer a verb of posture mm-hmm. um, for location. So I am, you know, I stand at the store, I sit at the, whatever, you know, is the default choice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, go ahead. Uh, that's also one thing I've, I've noticed and uh, actually made use of it in, in, in modern is that copulas don't have to indicate uh, location. It's quite common. We're used to that in uh, uh, European languages where uh, copulas are all quite commonly used for uh, uh, location as well to be uh, être in French and uh, uh, all, all those copula in in other languages quite commonly used uh, for location. It doesn't have to be that way. The copula can be restricted to uh, to just identity definition, uh, attribution. Sometimes not even. So right. it's uh, you don't have to uh, to uh, you're not obliged to to use the copula for location, for instance. Or you can have you know. A bit more familiar is you you ha- can have a particular copula for for location that's different from your identity copula. Right. Those and those usually yeah, um, uh, historically are posture verbs. Yeah. True. Okay. Um, are we ready for me to talk about the very fun business of alignment with these? Ooh. Yes. That's yes. Okay. So let's. Talk a little bit about ergativity for people who have might have forgotten. Um, <laughs> when talking about transitivity and whether a verb system is nominative accusative or ergative absolutive, um, you think about fundamentally three roles that a noun phrase or pronoun can play in a sentence. You can have the agent of a transitive verb, I make tea. You can have the S or subject role, which is the subject of an intransitive verb. This gets very confusing because most of us um, are used to subject meaning both subject and agent. But in the following discussion, keep them separate. And then you can have the object of a transitive verb. So that T that I was making earlier, I make the T. In the majority of languages, a copula subject is S. That is to say, it is... um, marked the same way as the subject of an intransitive verb. That kind of makes sense. It's not, you're stating a relationship, not an actual event. However, there are some languages, such as Ainu, for example, which does use the agent marking rather than the subject marking. Right, so majority of languages, copula is S, but in Ainu and a small number of other languages, it is marked as the agent. Um, We talked about Arabic a while ago, which the copula, when it exists, patterns as a transitive verb. The um, copula complement is in the accusative. Yes, I love it. (laughs) And I will tell you why I love it, because that's exactly what I did in Moten. Okay. (laughs) Um, In terms of uh, word order your copula will typically fall in your subject or agent position and the copula um, complement in the object position. Again, that's expected. If you have a language with quote-unquote free word order, you expect the word order to be a good deal less free in copula constructions, especially since in many most languages you don't have um, the different kinds of case marking to clarify what's doing 
what's doing what to whom, because a copula is different in that regard. Um, so word orders tend to be stricter. We should we should mention um, one thing about um, the when if you have the 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 uh, copula subject being the same as s, and which often the 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 copula complement is also marked the same as s, yep. but actually is also usually the unmarked uh, case form. Right. Yep. There are a small number of languages which, in, in most languages, the uh, agent, well, let's go nominative accusative. In most languages, the nominative is unmarked, the accusative is marked. In most ergative absolutive languages, the ergative is marked, the absolutive is not. Um, in the small number of languages that have marked nominatives, what happens, all possibilities for copula subject and copula complement exist in some language or another. Um, <laughs> I did not type out the chart from Dixon's book, but he's got it. It's there. All possibilities exist. Okay. I know that in Japanese, for instance, Japanese marks both the nominative with the particle ga and the accusative with the particle o. The copula complement is not marked at all. Right. Exactly. And that's normal um, or, or that's very common for the least marked version to be the copula complement. So uh, there's a Australian language, Jingulu, which has a zero copula construction, but it marks the um, copula subject ergative for identity. So I am a doctor, um, but uses the absolutive for attribution. I am tired. So you can get different kinds of marking depending on uh, what exactly is going on in the copula, which of these five roles we've mentioned um, is going on. Um, and once again, uh, getting back to the negative, the subject, the copula subject may be quite interesting in the negative. Finnish uses the partitive case and Russian uses the genitive case. But the genitive only in the negative. Case. In the negative. Yeah. In the negative. In the negative. Okay. Russian also has, like, the weird case of they have a zero copula only in present tense, right? Mm. Um, yeah, and there are languages which use zero copula for first and second person, but can't for third person. They have to have a copula for the third person. Right. You have that as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of, of, of interesting uh, stuff going on. Um, uh, yes, we said that. Uh, um, you can use, uh, in addition to this identity versus attribution thing, um, you might have variations in how the copula complement is marked to encode things like the ser estar distinction. That is, are you talking about a longtime permanent attribute or identity or something that's temporary? Yeah. Um, and this was fun. Uh, I found that in a small number of languages, copula complement pronouns, like it's me, have an entirely separate distinct form. Huh. Hmm. I, I don't think there are any noun, uh, any languages that have nouns that have a, a form only for that. Um, but interesting things go on with pronouns. And what's interesting to me is that's not, a, in my speech at least, that's not a particularly common use. In French, we use the, um, um, you, call, you would call that the emphatic forms of the pronouns, like moi, toi, yeah. lui, as a, a copula complement. We say c'est moi. Right. C'est toi, c'est lui. Uh, Spanish uses nominative forms. So yo. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess it happens more often than I thought. It just seems... In English, English you, have, you have, like... The disagreement of some people insisting you should use the nominative. It is odd. No, I, I think I think it's clear that it should be. It's me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. the The people who are using the nominative that's mostly a prescriptive thing. But <sighs> people. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that's it. One last thing about uh, alignment is even in languages with extremely complex polypersonal verb marking. If the copula is verb-like, it will typically only be marked for the copula subject. 
Yeah. It's true of, of Basque, for instance, which is, uh, is copular. Isam um, is uh, basic, basically uh, behaves like an intransitive verb. Uh-huh. Right. They can have up to both direct object, object and direct object, yes? In and indirect object, yeah. uh, uh, subject, direct object, indirect object, which is sometimes used in strange, weird ways. The indirect objects, uh, the uh, copula, the copula can take the uh, the subject and indirect object. Oh, okay, interesting. All right, um, yep. so that's an interesting uh, way in which they're uh, distinct. Um, another thing. Um, that is pretty likely is that it's entirely possible for the copula to be the only irregular verb in a language. <laughs> um, and they, and when they do it, they tend to be really, really irregular. Well, obviously look at, look we, at English. We, yeah. We can just, <laughs> we can look, just look at any European language and we see uh, equivalents to, of to be are usually the most irregular Sure, but that's um, true. That's not. I mean, that's true. Cross linguistic. That's not just a, a weird. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But you know, obviously, you know, with English, you just have to memorize every single form. There's not even you know most of our irregular verbs have some patterns to them. But um, that's the that fact. That's true. Sort of cross linguistically is is an interesting thing for conlangers because you know, yeah, you can. Go crazy with your um, with your copula copulas and your verb like copulas. Um, Maybe it's a good place to practice that. It's just start. It's just one verb. Yeah, it's used a lot. And one and one part of it is that different parts of your inflectional system for your copula might actually have different historical sources. Which right. we might get back. Yeah, we'll back get to, to it in a moment here. Yeah. All sorts of yeah. funness. One, one thing that I was going to mention earlier, but I missed on my list, is um, in some languages you can have monovalent copula clauses. What that means is you'd have just the copula subject. English does not allow this, although it's sometimes used in bad fantasy movies. Um, so you can use it to note existence. Dogs are meaning there are dogs. Um or sometimes occurrence. These days, many accidents are effectively, many accidents happen. Um, Actually, I have an example in English where it is used in monovalent and it's not bad fantasy. Oh. I think, therefore, I am. Oh. Oh, okay. That is... Um, No, that's a difference. Okay, there is a sense of to be that actually means to exist. Yeah. Which I think that is what that is. Yeah. yeah. The, the same is uh in to be or not to be. That means to exist or not to, to exist. exist. Yeah. 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 I need to think about that cuz um the only other place that um I can think of where people regularly quote a monovalent copula in English is um out of the Old Testament. Um, <laughs> Both of these are sort of elevated uses, so maybe English was happier with this at one point than it is now. I don't it, think it's yeah, something... It may not be as productive now. Yeah. No. Some languages some languages are perfectly happy to use this everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we move on to history? Uh, I think I think we can move on to the, the history. Did you want to talk about... Um, that's historical. What about the leftist location stuff, George, that you mentioned? Is that historical or? That's, that's relating to the, the historical development. Okay. All right. So in the first place, verbs of posture can give rise to copulas. Um, that happens in a bunch of romance languages. Yes. <laughs> Although it's very strange in uh, Spanish, I guess, estar combines two separate <laughs> verbs into one, one of which meant to stand. Yeah. And so... Or, and then there's another one meaning sit in there somewhere, yes. Yes. And so that's why you get estar being the, the locative copula and the copula for basically states. Right. Yeah. Um, temporal states. Um, whereas ser, I think is, that's the one that combined two. the part of the original Latin 
copula in addition to sit, various forms of sedere. And, and, um, and, uh, you know, a bunch of different, um, and, uh, that's, that's the, uh, just the, uh, regular old identity and, uh, yep. assigning properties and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. French être, uh, is, is closer to estar than it is to ser in yeah. terms of, uh, of etymology. Although it does has, does have a few, uh, uh, form that come back to the uh, old uh, Latin copula. Not that many, but uh, a few. Yeah. Right. So in addition to those verbs of posture, which frequently get um, watered down, uh, verbs like to live or to dwell can be a source. Yeah. Exist. That makes sense. More surprisingly, go hmm. um, can do this. And as a verb moves from its sort of original meaning into a copula sense, it may retain traces of its original sense. It might still, I mean, they may both might exist completely. Both senses might exist completely in the language and you just have to tell from context or, you know, the movement to copula might've happened, but there might be some interesting restrictions. For example, estar is for location and states, which makes sense because that's a common um, conceptual metaphor is that, being in a state is an actual being in a location. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even the language I'm using in, <laughs> in a state, in a location. Um, another source of copulas are demonstratives and third person pronouns. Uh-huh. So in languages that do this, um, you can get funny sent things like I, he, the doctor means I am the doctor. And then over time, what will happen is, or can happen is the pronoun or demonstrative will criticize. It will get reduced in some other ways. Other pronouns will be invented to take up the slack. I don't the, know if that's necessarily like I, he, the doctor is necessarily the, the best way to illustrate. I think it's, it, it'll usually be more like the man, he doctor, right? And the man. It's like, and, um, and he doctor is where it starts, but as it moves forward, you can, you can perfectly easily get, uh, some other pronoun as the subject. Uh, okay. Yeah. Eventually. So our our paper, we have a paper here that's called the copula cycle that has a lot of sort of examples of this happening, and it's both um, pronouns and also demonstratives do this too. Yeah, I I read it. the uh, The interesting part was not only that uh, uh, pronouns, uh, uh, personal pronouns, and demonstratives could do that, but sometimes you get other things get doing that, like at positions, mm-hmm. or even focus markers, right? Yeah. And that turn um, into copulas. The focus marker makes me think think uh, something interesting too, because um, a big part of what I think is happens uh based on stuff i was reading sifting through um i'll i'll i will i will warn people this uh londal paper is uh it's um framed in minimalism and you don't really have to understand the the minimalist theory just sift through and like look at the examples and like the the general description of things working because he cites some some sources on Chinese and a bunch of other languages, uh, Turkish, Hebrew, Sranen, um, all talking about different pathways of derivation. And the the main points are things that we're going to be covering here. But um, I think the interesting thing is like what happens with like using the let, let me see if I can get. Uh, some of the Chinese examples. So, like, they have examples of... In Chinese, it's a demonstrative that became the copula. Yeah. In classical and, Chinese, sure means this. Right. And so, like, they start out with... Um, there's an example. Know then use him... This not kind. So the idea is that the the copula subject, and obviously this is from a corpus, so it's not a super clean, but it's that's like a clause 
almost that was the 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 copula subject that got topulized and then you had the the this inserted in there and that sort of gave the gave the environment for it to be reanalyzed as a copula right and there's other places where you get things moved to the left and and you got some some uh some pronoun or um demonstrative inserted or you can just have something like inserted just as sort of like a an an emphasis type of thing but it's it's sort of you can see where like topicalization or focus can end up placing these things in places where they end up being reanalyzed as copulas because they're in the right place for it. Or doing, or just so often used in what's effectively a copula construction that they become interpreted as fun- necessary, fundamental to, to the construction. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of interesting historical stuff. The paper, yeah, whenever I link these papers, I'm not doing it because of the theory, because I'm interested in, in this uh, phenomenon they're trying to explain with their theory. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, uh, want to help people, like, get to what's most useful for conlangers. Yeah. Cause I can, I can actually understand where he's, where he's coming from with his theory, but I don't think that's really anything that's necessary for conlangers to understand. Um, um, anything else to say about that? I just wanted to mention that once something is unambiguously a copula, it becomes available for use in the many, many auxiliary constructions that use a copula. Yes. Imperfectives, progressives, all of that sort of stuff um, that we talked about a few episodes back that be and be like verbs can become. Once that happens, off you go. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite interesting to see how all these different kinds of, of words just lose their identity and become uh, basic copula. Yep. And uh, if, even when the word still exists and is used uh, as a full semantic uh, word in other uh, uh, environments, like uh, in uh, Moroccan Arabic, where uh, where they have this uh, uh, um, uh, present copula, which is uh, who are, which is basically the third person uh, singular pronoun. But although it's still identical to the third-person singular pronoun, it can be used even when the uh, copula subject is first-person, second-person, feminine. Doesn't matter. The thing the, who was says the same. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. And that can be that can be the most interesting if you want to apply this to uh, a conlang, because you can give evidence, sort of show your work. By giving evidence of what the the historical source was, um, and you know, show that your conlang has this weird thing, because at some point a pronoun became a copula, and it's still used in both both ways. Right. Um, yeah, you can also have the opposite thing, which as I, I saw in one of the papers yeah, that you had, but I can't, uh, I can't find it at the moment, where they had a, a, a copula which was marked for the, I think it was the, gen, uh, the gender of the, of the subject, whereas any other verb in that language didn't mark the gender of the subject, because that copula came from a demonstrative. Right. Um, so and you can happened- also have the opposite. So it's basically you're kind of free to do quite a lot of things with copulas. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this um, these ones for panare. I don't know so much about what usual verbs would be. I don't think they have the same kind of things as the the um, the copula has. But the copula marks. Animate and inanimate, and animate also marks dexis, um, proximate or distant, um, which, which, um, that clearly is comes also from a, like visible versus right. not visible. Right. So that definitely looks like it came from a demonstrative. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Then it, it came from demonstratives, but it seems that they shifted in meaning in the process too a little bit mm. so that's a, that's an interesting thing i mean that's always the fun with this process which has the horrible name grammaticalization mm-hmm. is 
at any given moment in a language's history, you're going to be somewhere along this process from it. It is this original verb. It, the original verb has all of its meaning, but it is also used or verb or whatever is used in its original meaning completely and fully in addition to beginning to be used to represent a copula construction or whatever construction. And then as you move time, the original sense gets further and further and further away, but even quite far from the originating situation, little bits of the history of the originating verb will hang out. Like, you know, Spanish estar is, you know, an example. It no longer means literally to stand. There's another verb for that. Um, but some of the semantics still hang out and constrain how the, the word can be used. Um, and that, ha- I mean, that just with copulas, as with any historical process, but um, it looks like there are so many different sources for copulas. You can have many ranges of possibility and fun within them. Anyway, so that's historical stuff. Anyone want to say anything else about the historical fun? Um, uh, do we want to talk about, I didn't really get to where copulas can become affixes. Yeah. I mean, certain highly commonly used verbs sometimes lose their own accenting. And in fact, in early Indo-European, we think all verbs were enclitic. They had no accent of their own. They had to follow some other meaning-bearing word onto which they could glom. They could attach themselves and take the accenting. They could lean on the the heavier word for accenting. Proto-Indo-European was the weirdest language ever. (laughs) It's pretty... Unusual. Um, and bits of this retain. In ancient Greek, most verbs have their own accent, except ta-da, um, a bunch of forms of the copula, <laughs> um, which are enclitic and have, you know, and that places very cons- various constraints on them. So once you've started down that path, then it becomes really easy to switch to, oh, this is just an affix that attaches to the nouns, like a, a language like Persian. Um, I think, is that right? You know what? I'm going to step back from that because I haven't checked. But yeah, you can get copulas that just um, are clicks that uh, attach to somewhere. They might attach to the complement. They might attach to the first word in the clause, and you just have to figure out where the complement really is. Depends on the word order constraints of the language. George, are you looking for something? Uh, No, I'm good. Um, So, yeah, that's... That's as far as I understood it. I, I was just um, asking about that part of it. But, um, yeah, I think in general this is uh, uh, a good overview for people. And I will be posting the things. Uh, there's someone who complained about um, in email about uh, sometimes our links to these papers die. Oh, yeah, that's not so much a complaint as a sad <laughs> reality of life. Well, I I mean, I'm not I'm not saying it's a it's, I it's I'm glad that they brought this this up. Um so I think I'm going to change the way that I do that. This either I'm going to do like author year and title or I can I can literally just uh the way that I'm reading the papers now, I can literally just hit a button and get a formatted citation if I want. Okay. So I could, I could, I could give people that. And that way when the links die, they can look them up. I won't be going back and doing that for all previous episodes anytime soon, because that, that would be a long slog, but for future episodes, I will try to give, give the, these academic sources in a, way that's a little bit easier to search for in case the links die. Holy cow. I, I was just trying to verify the, the my Persian statement. It turns out to be true. Wikipedia has Ooh. an entire article on Indo-European copulas. <laughs> Yay! Okay, okay. Maybe we'll, that's nice. we'll link to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have to. Yeah, that's good. Good, good. Who, who, how did I not find this? Okay, anyway. So, are we done here? Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, go but forth basic. and... Well, I won't say what I was going to say. Go forth and make copulas. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, okay. I, Christoph, we, you have we get it. Christoph, you have no, anything bas- b- Basically, that's it. Um, as long as you can uh, 
turn uh, a phrase in a way that can be understood as a part of it becoming a copula, go ahead and do it. Yeah. But basically, yeah. Any, basically, nearly anything can become a, uh, a copula. And I really want to see some conlangs come up with weird copulas that, like, because they come from demonstratives or or pronouns or from something else funny, that they have, like, the weird morphology that's totally different from... I want a copula that comes from a, from a postposition added to a focal marker. Yes. <laughs> Uh, that that seems very reasonable, actually. I, I did run actually, across actually, one or two. Go ahead. Uh, actually, I wonder in some of, some of the firm forms of the Japanese copula look like they come from that. Oh, there was one that was there was one in one of these papers that was like two things put together. I want to yeah. say yeah. it was. That seems also likely. Yeah, I, 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 I saw it too. Of some kind. Um, but uh, but if you if you look at at, at Japanese uh, the the normal form of the copula is da, and if you take it in the negative, it becomes de wanai, which can nicely be analyzed as the particle de, which is uh, used uh, which has various uses in uh, uh, Japanese. The topical marker wa, it's actually written like the topical marker, and the uh, negative extingential uh, nai, which is basically the uh, the negative form of aru to exist yeah, for inanimate. That's interesting. That's mm. interesting. I, I did so. run across um, one or two interesting suggestions that some languages, not very many, very small number, have classificatory copulas. That is to say, they have a copula or a, a stable of copulas that each one is only used with particular kinds of subjects, like weather or emotional states. But it, it's very difficult. The analysis is difficult. It might actually just be verbs that are only used with those um, terms. It's not always clear that they're actually copulas. I don't think it's impossible that you could come up with copulas that classify or that are only used with certain kinds of nouns. Um, that's certainly possible, but a, a big chunk of them, like you get in a classifying language, like, say, Navajo, with lots of classificatory verbs. Um, I wouldn't expect to have 12 copulas. Uh, just to, to throw another thing, there was one example in here of uh, Mistek apparently has a an existential becoming a copula specifically for adjectives. Uh-huh. Uh, citing someone who works here, so maybe I can ask ask Monica McCauley about yeah. um what she thinks of that. That looks like he's sort of reanalyzing what she said. Okay, uh, so from from the fact that we tried to stop but kept going should tell you how interesting copulas really are. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they're very interesting. There's oh, and here's here's the thing I was looking for. Lakota, let's see, it's um it's combination of this and such. Oh. So uh and neither one of them can take any verb verb inflections, but you put them together, it's uh, it's like he and cha, and mm-hmm. then he cha can take verb inflections. So. Of course, naturally. <laughs> uh, so, in in conclusion, go ahead and and and, and be wild with your uh, copula, and uh, it's likely that uh, once again, uh, Nat Lang di- did it already, but worse. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> And uh, I forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, if you, any Lakota speakers for my bad pronunciation. But um, uh, it, uh, I have to read this example. Of course, they have an example. Washiju uh, Hamacha is I am a white man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a useful sentence in the Berlitz Lakota phrase <laughs> yeah. book. <laughs> okay, so Hemacha. I don't know. Um, I should ask my people, who, my uh, my friends who work on on. Um, I should ask my friends who work on Siouan languages about that one. Yes, but um, anyway, that's 
Uh, we could probably talk for another hour about stuff if we if we kept Definitely. sort of searching through minutia and stuff. But I am going to put these. We've got like four papers for for you guys to look at. Well, it's like three papers and a handout, but the handout <laughs> is fifteen pages. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you 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 get some long handouts sometimes. At, at <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Yeah, I just there's a whole rant to be had for giant handouts, but we'll save that for <laughs> some other time. Um, well, uh, I mean, it's handy because it's basically a whole paper. It's handy if you're not at the conference. Um, yeah. Agreed. So uh, that's all we have for today, and uh, go look at the the Conlanging movie. That's going to be where we will, we will let you know when the Kickstarter starts for that. Um, uh, look at our Patreon. Give us, give us money so we can <laughs> buy nice things for the show. Uh, uh, this, this will be helpful since I won't, I won't have a whole lot of money. I will have, I, I am getting a TA, but I'll probably end up having less money because I'm having a baby. Right. <laughs> well, congratulations on getting a TA. I have to spend all my new money on on diapers. Um, so, with all of that, I'm going to say, happy Conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash conlangery. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. All of those are conlangery. And if you would like to hear your conlang featured on the top of the show, you can look at our contribute page. It has the instructions for what you need to translate and how to send it to me. Conlangery's web space is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our music is by Null Device. <laughs>